It's a great honor and pleasure to be here in this beautiful assembly. Hare Krishna. All the rigors of travel are justified when we meet with those who are um, offer their heartfelt association. So it's been really a beautiful experience coming here to be part of this community for a few hours. I think that we're taking away the great spirit of cooperation, innovation, and dedication. So I thank you all very much. My respects to my spiritual master, Srila Prabhupada, who was keen on seeing people happy in the world. He had a unique perspective coming from a culture that taught that we're not our bodies and that the ultimate goal of life can be achieved only when one knows one's relationship with the Supreme and is working in that relationship. And he also understood that the panacea is found in the teachings of the great wisdom literatures like the Srimad Bhagavatam in the Bhagavad Gita. And not content simply for himself to take advantage of these books and the processes that they prescribe. He thought of a grand plan to bring them all over the world and make them available in as many languages as possible to as many people as possible. And he had a, really, a real knack for organizing people to come together to, to want to serve. There's a passage in the Sri Chaitanya Bhagavat in which Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, is dancing and engaging Kirtan, and there are tens of thousands of followers around him and serving him. And the king, the local king, has seen him from afar and noticed that everyone's joyful around him and everyone's voluntarily serving. And in a discussion with one of his secretaries, the king says, this must be God. He said, here I am a king. I have to pay exorbitant salaries to get people to do such work. Although I have also tens of thousands of people serving me, it, it requires an enormous treasury for that. He said, but this personality, he's a sannyasi. He doesn't have any money. doesn't even have any pockets. And yet there are tens of thousands of people who are serving. And they're joyful. My people serve out of fear. They're serving willfully and their their lives are transformed into lives of <clears throat> fulfillment so Prabhupada the founder of this organization had the same idea in mind as to give people a connection to service through which they would always feel happy and satisfied and it works because it's our nature as spiritual beings to be happy when we're serving Krishna. Krishna is a, is a name for our original conscious divine source who's actually love personified and who has our greatest interest in mind and not only that, he can do something about it. So it's in our interest to not ignore him but to actually give him, give him our heart and soul because his main business is to reciprocate with us. And so when we find service through which we get this reciprocation and we become happy. So that sounds like a, a worthy occupation, doesn't it? To develop communities in which more and more people can come in and feel happy 
by having some service to the Supreme. What do you think? On a scale of one to ten, one being it's a terrible idea, I should stop talking about it, and ten means you think it's the best idea you've heard ever. Ten. Where's the Prabhu who gave me two and a half? <laughs> okay. Where are we on the scale for this one? Was it you? No. Okay. <laughs> One through ten? Ten. Hare Krishna. Now people organize themselves in grand fashion. People learn how to manage resources. There are universities that teach how to manage. You can take courses in management, six-year courses. You could even get a PhD in it. But like Carl Sagan once said, when he was walking through a library, he said, if you start here, and then he walked down the aisle for about two minutes, and he pointed to a long, long row of books, and he said, if you read one book a month, you could finish this many books in your lifetime. He said, but it's, it's not which books you, it's not how many books you read, it's which books you read. And we see oftentimes there are very glamorous, glamorously organized companies, but <clears throat> the ultimate result is that they're producing something that is not absolutely necessary for the satisfaction of the, of the soul. I have a godbrother and a friend that I used to go out on book distribution with. He's no longer with us. His name was Ruchi Das. And oftentimes when we first started to go out into public and distribute books, we were pretty young. We were, at least I was 16 years old when I first started going out. And people thought, you know, who are these kids out here all day selling books? You should do something good with your life, they thought. So one of the most frequently um, given uh, comments, free advice. I got a lot of free advice. <laughs> Didn't have to pay a dime for it. They said, why don't you get a real job? And my friend Ruchi, who liked to make snide comments, uh, would respond, yes, maybe we could work for a cigarette company and make cigarettes. Would that be nice? Or maybe we could make toothpaste. I could be the, the man who puts the stripes in the toothpaste, because at that time there was a new kind of toothpaste that came out and actually had a stripe in it. When you, it's like, would that be good? Um, uh, obviously, sarcastically putting back to the person, like, what kind of work is important? more important than distributing knowledge. And the answer is that there, there really isn't any more important work than to give people an opportunity to take up a, a spiritual practice. You know, if you go to a, in America, a physical therapist, physical therapist doesn't really work on you that much, but he or she will look over whatever kind of uh, anomaly is there within your body and then say, Here, here's a sheet of exercises you can perform. You go home and do it. And then you can do or not do. And every person has an opportunity to improve him or herself. They need the information. Somebody to prescribe it and say, here's what you're missing. We can't do it for anybody, but we, we can offer the information. We can do it for ourselves and be an example and say, yes, it actually works. So an organization in which the members are dedicated to this process of giving out the most pertinent information that goes right to the heart of each person and shows him or her how to organize life in such a way that they can be happy.
and attain the supreme destination. <clears throat> As Prabhupada writes in one of his books called Light of the Bhagavad, going back to Godhead is not a plaything. It's a it's very serious proposition because uh, it is a dangerous prospect to not take seriously the gift of the human body. It's an opportunity to reform one's consciousness, to evolve one's consciousness back to its original pure state <clears throat> so that when we leave this body, which is not an option, we don't get to choose and say, well, I'd rather not. Or maybe not right now. When that time of changing bodies comes, we don't have the, we don't have the option of saying, <clears throat> I'll wait maybe a year. Even if you have millions of dollars, Prabhupada used to say that he knew a very wealthy businessman who, when the doctor told him that you only have two months to live, said, but I will give you two crores of rupees if you just extend my life by four years. I have many plans and I have to enact them. And besides my kids, they have to go to college and things like that. And what did the doctor say? Do you know? You don't have to know. You can just <laughs> you can extrapolate because the doctors always say the same thing when you ask them, can you cure my disease? And they say, I'll do my best. But ultimately, it's not up to me. So this um, distribution of knowledge is the most important. And then having a center like this in which people can come and experience what I just experienced out in the lobby was hearing this beautiful singing coming out from the hearts and uh, souls of all the uh, participants in here. It was moving, actually, to hear that kirtan. And then to know where it's come from. It's been passed down. And there's a saying, Golokera Premadhana Harinama Sankirtana, that this uh, special chanting that you were all just doing is coming down from the spiritual world. And it makes a direct connection with the spiritual world just by doing it. And also that it works even on a street corner. You can take the same chanting out and present it on, uh, in a plaza somewhere. And when people hear it, they'll feel connected to the spiritual world, even if they don't know it at first. They'll, they'll sense something otherworldly about it. Just because <clears throat> the sound vibration itself is not different from Krishna. So that's um, a philosophical preface to a few practical things I'd like to mention today, if I might. But before I do, um, do you have any reflections or comments? Uh, a reflection is kind of a comment. It means just anything that you heard that uh, caught your interest that you'd like to say back, or if you have a question. And then I'm going to talk about some ways that we've been organizing around the world <clears throat> to increase the, um, the team of <clears throat> those who are working to, to distribute knowledge. Let's just have three reflections to keep the energy fluid. What did you hear? Yes. Yeah, the mantras come from the spiritual world. So um, there's also a mention by Rupa Goswami and his poetry about the chanting of, of Krishna's names. And he says that if somebody just hears it a little bit, even if they don't know what it is, it, it stirs something in their heart where they feel some bhakti. It's, it's uh, amazing, isn't it? Just by hearing that sound vibration. It's even a dim reflection of it. Even for someone who says, he says is blind to the truth, it awakens in them a sense that, oh, this is something beautiful, devotional, 
it's there within the soul already, and it gets awakened by the sound of this chanting. Thank you. Okay, let's have a couple more. Yes, Prabhu. Uh, the analogy you gave of, uh, of physical therapy, you go to identify what from your body and give you information, then you need to work on to similarly we go out there to meet people and give them the information. Uh, we're not enforcing on that, but give them the choice. Yeah. And same with uh, same with Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita. He's he's not religiously fanatical and <clears throat> condemning anyone. He's just saying, here's the information. Now do with it with what you wish, <clears throat> because it it's it's for your highest benefit. Somebody else had their hand up. Yes. It's our responsibility to use the human. Use it properly. Yeah. Yeah, because the body isn't actually ours. It's a rental. It's on lease. Did you get some lease papers when you were born? You have them somewhere? I think that time as well when you when the doctor said, you know, that uh, there's there is no cure and how we should focus on Krishna at that time as well, you know? Yes. Yeah, and Prabhupada once said that a transcendentalist is one who thinks I can die any day, today or tomorrow, whereas a materialist is someone who thinks I'll live for many millions of years, it's somewhere in the future. So if we're thinking preemptively, not in an erotic way, that we become shut down to our relationships and to life itself uh, on a daily basis, but a persistent awareness that this is a tenuous situation I'm in. One poet named Jayadev compared it to the drop of water on a lotus leaf. And the lotus leaf is a very waxy surface, so drops don't stay on it very long. Just a slight tilt of the leaf and the drop slides off. And we're, our lives are like that we can slide off at any second. So we can prepare ourselves now. It's okay to start as early as possible. Even Prahlad Maharaj said you can start at five years old. He was five and he was talking to his schoolmates who said, come on, let's just play. And he said, no, uh, better start now because the sooner the better. Thank you. One more? Anyone? Anyone? Yes? Yeah, I really like what you said about um, that the life of the Buddha gives you can give somebody the opportunity to have a spiritual practice. And I've never looked at it quite in that way before. So, yeah, I think that was really important. Yeah, thank you for reflecting that back. It's really important, and it's, it's much to the point of what I'd like to talk about. And that is that uh, in ideal communities like this, and I say ideal because the leadership here and, and subsequently everybody in the community has a sense for what's most important in the mission or is the mission. And the mission really is the spirit of giving. First of all, when we give, we grow. This isn't well known, but it's felt by most people. In fact, in a, in a survey of 10,000 students in Canada, there was a, a simple question, is it better to give or receive? What do you think they said? Predominantly. It's almost unanimous. Better to give than receive. We hear this all the time. It's, it's a cliche, practically. But there's a sense we have. It's a metaphysical sense, actually, that uh, it's, it's more noble to give. And also, we feel better. So, uh, last week, <clears throat> I found this video clip of a baseball game where a kid was uh, awarded a baseball. He was sitting in the stands. Do you have baseball here? No. Oh, God. All right, let's just pretend it's cricket. <laughs> you have cricket? Yeah. Definitely. Okay. So, 
Do the players ever give the cricket balls to people in the stands? Well, they do it in, a, in baseball. Uh, one of the players picked up the ball from the field during the game and handed it to a little kid in the stands. And the kid turned around and handed it to another kid as a gift. And then it was on the stadium TV. And everyone said, what did he just do? He gave it away. And so they sent the, the announcers down to sit next to the kid and say, so why'd you do that? <laughs> Where'd you learn to do that, to give away what you just got? And the kids said, well, I just thought it was a good idea. And then it got on the news, and then it got on the internet, and millions of people were watching and said, kid gives away baseball, right after he's... <laughs> and I was thinking, like one tiny atom, and you split it, and all the energy comes out. It seems like a small thing, but the act of giving, especially if it's selfless, it causes a chain reaction. And it's something that is advocated in the Sankirtan movement. It's to give, just be givers. And so in uh, conceiving of uh, better and better ways to organize in our community, I come from Silicon Valley, and this is my wife, Nira Kula, sitting behind the camera. We um, had moved to San Francisco around, when did we move to San Francisco? 1989. 1989, okay. We had joined the Krishna Conscious Movement in 1973, and then, I won't go through all the other stuff, but then uh, we got married in 1986. We moved to the Bay Area, San Francisco, in 1989, and then uh, we, we had some programs at our home where people would come every week. And then uh, some devotees moved up to Silicon Valley, which is about 20 minutes from us. We're on the cusp of Silicon Valley. And they had started a tiny, tiny little project there in a house. And then uh, one thing led to another, and they asked us uh, if we'd like to participate. So we got involved. And... <clears throat> Since everybody was busy and people working, most all family, all family types of people, bills to pay. Does this resonate with anybody? You have bills to pay? Is stuff free here in Wales? Uh, there's bills to pay. There's obligations to meet. And we thought, well, how will we have a book distribution program? that will be successful while everyone's so busy and previously in our International Society for Krishna Consciousness at least in some eras there was a sense that there were some people who were full-time book distributors that would go out distribute books and then others that would not go out they'd do other things so we started in a small humble way and we came up with an idea, which was start somewhere, because where else are you going to start? Start where you are now. So the first thing we did was we put a little table in our tiny temple room with some books on it. And as we noticed one thing right away, and that is as soon as you make the books visible, people can take them. If you hide them, there's not a lot of chance that they're going to be taken. And then we started going out to a few places around the valley. And at this time, we only had about four Sankirtan devotees that had the time to volunteer. And so we uh, picked a weekend and we all went out together. And we had a goal that we would split up. Two would go to one spot and two would go to another. That was our first big goal. And that was, that worked. And the devotees had such a good time that we decided that we should do this every month. So we came up with the name, really an original name, the Monthly Sankirtan Festival. It was just, it happened uh, really just as we were working on it and we said, okay, let's call it that. So call it something. MSF it became. And then we thought, We'll do it once a month. So we invited more people to come, and we said, we're just going to go out 
and see what we can do together uh, once a month. And the devotees went out the first time together. After the first outing I mentioned, there were a few more that, that joined. And they had such a good time that when they came back, they said, wow, let's do this every week. And I said, mm, how about if we just keep it at a month for now until we get some consistency? So after a few months of doing it every month, the devotees came back and said, this is really hard. How about if we do it every other month? <laughs> I said, mm, how about if we just keep it at once a month and just uh, get consistency? And that's what we did for some time. And we kept an uh, idea that we'd make it fun and easy for everybody. And we also had a battle cry, which is always better service. So during the monthly Sankirtan festival, someone would always have a pad and pen and write down where there was room for improvement. We'd find any of the gaps, like if you're walking out the door and get in the car and then someone says, oh, uh, we don't have any uh, Spanish books. Like we didn't have any today. When we were down there, we met a guy who wanted a, a Bhagavad Gita in Spanish. So that's something we would have written down and say, next time make sure we have books in Spanish. And it's amazing how many gaps there are in a moving operation. So it gave us the opportunity to write down where the gaps were. And then the, the principle we call always better service, ABS, the ABS principle, was that every month we make at least three improvements. Because there's, there's a well-known paradigm in management that if in your organization people perceive that things are getting better, they'll do more than they have to. If they perceive that things are staying about the same in quality, then they do just what they have to. And if they perceive that things are getting consistently worse, then they quit. So in an organization that's thriving and growing, uh, it's important for the leaders to make sure that things are always getting better. The light bulb's fixed the next time. The book room key is available next time, etc., etc. There's so many little gaps one could find, always. That's why it's always better service. And we found as we continued to, to grow, that uh, lots of people would want to come out and be part of it. We also found that if you make it fun, that people like fun things. So uh, fun, I realized after many years, I was trying to figure out exactly what it means that something's fun. And I finally figured out that it means pizza. <laughs> if you say, we're going to go out and then come back and we're all going to have pizza that everyone said, let's go. Where do I sign up? Because pizza has some kind of mystical vibration to it. People are like, oh, pizza. Why didn't you say that before? <laughs> so it's not necessarily pizza, but that's the idea. It has to be something that people like. That's fun. Most people, they don't immediately gravitate towards Let's grind it out in some heavy sacrifice and fast, fast until death. Would you like to join? No even drinking water. Would you like to come? They want to know where the music, the dance, and the nice food is, and then they'll come. And also making it really easy. So we also realized that in moving to various places around the world, is everything okay? in various places to start these MSFs after we got it going in it's kind of Silicon Valley. I noticed, because uh, I'd give a seminar uh, on a maybe a Thursday night, Friday night, and then on Saturday morning we would have a little training and we all go out together. And I noticed that a lot of people would come for the training, but when it came time to walk out the door, a lot of people disappeared. And I said, where did they go? And they Everyone told me the same thing. They heard their mom calling them, and she wanted them to come home and make them a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. 
Meaning, they just thought up something to get out of there because something was bothering them about walking out the door. So one of the ways we fixed that is we started telling people in the community that we're not going out to distribute books. We're just going out to touch the pavement. Touch the pavement means we go out to the spot and we just put our foot on it and then you're done for the day. You don't have to do anything else to prove yourself. And anything you do after that is extra. And then people could understand, okay, I think I could do it, get it that far, especially when we made it very clear that you don't have to do more than that. And this ritual started of devotees going out and touching the pavement and then taking the pressure off, whatever they have to do after that is extra, and they do something. And then it became clear that the, the best paradigm for growth is that a lot of devotees each doing their level best, his or her level best, not expecting uh, anyone to do more than they can and not pushing anybody in any way. So sometimes there's this uh, sense that uh, if we have a few people that are doing a lot of book distribution, that's really good, and it is, but we find out that it's even bigger when a lot of people are doing their level best. I found this out when I lived in New York in 1976 in the uh, 340 West 55th uh, skyscraper building. It's actually about 15 or 16 floors. Iskand had bought that building. And Prabhupada said that at least once a month, everybody should go out. That means everybody. They said one Pujari can stay back and take care of everything. And so the, on those days, and during that time I was a brahmachari and we had uh, groups of us going out to distribute books and I, I was thinking, as were my colleagues, that uh, well, what are all these other people going to do? They don't know how to distribute books so much. And it's a lot of endeavor. Uh, we saw on the day of the exodus from the temple, we had 300 devotees that lived in that temple at the time, and we witnessed uh, mothers pushing baby carriages with Sri Shapanishads tucked in the sides on the way out. And of course, from our point of view, it was like, eh, what are they going to do? And the next morning, when we heard the results, we were astounded and proved wrong that a lot of devotees in one day, each doing his or her level best, was huge as far as numbers of books that went out. And we also noticed something else, that there was a palpable sense throughout the community that everyone felt better about themselves. There was a noticeable uptick in spiritual energy in the temple. So I'd remembered that from the previous times and also Prabhupada's edict about everyone going out together. And so that's what we tried to do at Silicon Valley. And gradually what happened was the devotees who were going out once a month became so attached to the energy, the higher energy of challenging themselves to go out on book distribution and having the experiences that they had, that they um, wanted to go out more on their own, naturally. So they would make time to go out. And then we made a really big discovery. And it's about kids. You want to hear it? How old are you? Perfect, five. So one day I decided to try a, an experiment and I invited five five-year-olds to come out on Sankar time with me. Of course, their parents came uh, as well to uh, be guardians of the project. It wasn't that far from the temple. We went door to door together. Five five-year-olds, your age, five of you, together. <laughs> we went out and to distribute books door to door. Are you into it? We can go sometime altogether. And so I saw that it was an amazing experience. So the first door we went, went to, uh, we were all waiting outside, and the kids were in, in awe. There was great wonderment in their eyes to watch this process, just walking up to people's doors and knocking on the door. And they 
kind of wondered, you know, what's going to happen? And so did I, actually. <laughs> so the first door didn't disappoint because somebody behind there was trying to open the door, but it wouldn't open. So finally, what I just could discern was when the door finally opened a crack that a person who was uh, mentally impaired was inside and had a guardian. And the person who was mentally impaired then saw us outside and uh, somehow or other understood that uh, we were okay. And one of the kids thrust a book through the crack in the door and the person on the other side grabbed it. But the guardian didn't want that person to have it for some reason. We don't know why. We, she didn't grant an interview. But she was trying to push it back. So this epic struggle took place between the, the uh, caregiver and the person who was impaired, and back and forth, back and forth. And finally, um, the book went inside, the door uh, clicked closed, and, uh, and the kids went, Haribo! <laughs> and I saw, this is fun for them. <laughs> then we went to the next house, and it was a kind of a spring day, and there was a white picket fence, and there was a woman standing on her front porch, uh, I think getting the mail or something, and I was these five five-year-olds outside the gate, so I, she saw us coming, she saw my garb, and from her porch she said, as the kids were breaking through the gate and uh, walking, you know, rushing down the pathway, she said, oh no, I'm a Christian. And the kids didn't know what that meant. I did, and I stayed outside the gate, but the, the door was already open, and the stampede had begun. And the five five-year-olds surrounded her, and they were showing her uh, pictures. And they said, see, this is Krishna? And here's a, he has a cow. And I can hear them over there, each trying to add something to the, to the presentation. And they were charming. And, you know, she looked at them, she was smiling, and then she looked at me and she goes, all right, how much is it? <laughs> and I thought, this is really going to work. <laughs> and actually, uh, we then started a formal program. Because... We, the next day, we asked the kids, how many of you would like to go out again? And they put both hands up, not just one, both, like this. And so Kameshwari Devidasi took charge of the program. And then she tells about how the first time she took a group out, and again, other parents would come along, a group of kids, and the first time they were um, rejected, out of hand rejected. So that happens sometimes. It's a really fun experience. The person opens the door, takes one look at you and says, get out of here, and then close the door on your face. Have you ever had that happen? It's worth just going out to have that happen at least <laughs> once because it's so interesting. Like, you don't even know me, right? <laughs> so that happened to the kids, and Kameshri could understand that they, f they felt a little um, hurt. They had been rejected. How many of you here like rejection? Raise your hands. Okay, one, <laughs> two. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> so Kameshri, very intelligent and sensitive person, brought the kids to the local playground right near in, in, the, in the complex of apartments, and they all sat down together in a circle, and she talked to them about what it meant and what it didn't mean, and they learned to process it. And some people get a PhD and then they become dysfunctional because they don't, have to, they don't know how to move in the world. They don't have any emotional intelligence. They don't even know how to face rejection. But these kids at five years old were learning how to face rejection. You with me on this? So they get the kids, when they participate in Sankirtan, and some of them now are in college, those same ones that uh, were five years old when they went out with me. I have pictures before and after. They have a kind of street smart from doing 10, 15 years of book distribution. They know how to count Lakshmi. 
they know how to take care of it, they know how to organize, they know the value of giving people a chance to go out and meet them and so forth. And they're very well-rounded devotees. You get this from Sankirtan. You actually make advancement by going out and seeing how all the energies of the world work. Like today, we were out, where were we? Under that uh, Culpa Victory tree? Queen Street, there's a cult of victory tree there. If you stand under it, everyone will take a book. So we approached one guy, and he was an employee, and he was smoking a cigarette. And I asked him, is that a Chesterfield? And he goes, no. And I said, Salem? And, you know, and he started laughing. So those are names of cigarettes. Marlboro. For those of you who don't. It was Marlboro? Okay. So <laughs> I went over, and I started showing him the book and talking to him. And <clears throat> the end result was he said he didn't have any money. So he said, uh, I said, well, what else do you have? I think. Can you remember what I said? I, he said, I have cigarettes. And I said, all right, give me the cigarettes. And, and he started pulling one out. And I said, no, not one. I want them all. And, and that was like, <laughs> he's going, I can't do that. Which was a revelation because he's really attached to them. Uh, but he gave me one, and I was holding one. And then, spontaneously, I was holding the one cigarette. And then he pulls out his lighter, which I happen to have here in my bag. <laughs> he pulled out his lighter, and, and he goes, you want this? And I don't know what, it, what uh, impelled him to do that, but I said, yeah, I want it. Because I really wanted it. Because I knew the cigarette, I wasn't sure exactly how to engage in Krishna's service. <laughs> but the lighter, and this has happened before, it almost deja vu. He goes kind of almost whimsically, he said, you want the lighter? And I said, yeah. And he was shocked. It went through right his solar plexus, like, oh my God, what did I just say? <laughs> and so he goes, really? And I said, yeah, really. He said, are you serious? I'm serious. <laughs> I said, I'm serious. And I took control of the lighter. And then he freaked out because he realized, I have cigarettes, I have no money, I can't buy another lighter. And I got to come out here and smoke every hour in order to survive. So there was a survival instinct and you could see him start to panic. And he goes, no, 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 I need the lighter back. And I said, you don't need it back. You have a bad habit. You're just going to use it for that. I'm taking it to the church and I'm going to use it for a spiritual cause. You're going to get the benefit. And you like... His lower self and higher self are having this fight now. And you, we're watching it right in front of us, and I'm reflecting back on myself. Like, this is my life. This is me fighting lower self, higher self, and the, the battle for going back to Godhead versus, like, so let's just go to sleep again here in the material world and just embrace bad habits. We'll try it next lifetime. You know, no problem. And so we, we see these existential crossroads for people when we're on Sankirtan. I have the lighter. I told him that, and his higher self prevailed. Super Soul was going, yeah, yeah, it's true, it's true. Plus there was about 20 devotees standing around him. <laughs> and when he finally says, he goes, he says, yeah, you keep the lighter. And all the devotees went, Haribo! <laughs> like we just won, what's the World Series of Cricket? So just like we had just won the World Cup, they, they went, you know, they cheered. And then he felt, as Divyanam Prabhu related to me afterwards, he felt like, wow, I did something good. I actually overcame an anartha. There had to be an intervention session there, right there in the corner. And that happens again and again. I've seen it in Gujarat. There was this young couple, and they were out there smoking behind a car. They knew they shouldn't have done it. Their parents would have been mortified. And when I approached them, they were trying to hide the cigarettes. So I was like, hey, come on, I'm from California, you know? And, <laughs> the, you know, after a while, they bought the books, and I could see they were so relieved that somebody actually came and found them behind the car there and then in, induced them to take a book. This is real-life intervention on the spiritual level that takes place person-to-person. -person. Movements spread person-to-person. -person. Cesar Chavez who started the Grape Growers Union in California, it became a huge labor movement. One time he was asked, 
So how did you do this? How did you get it all going? And he said, I just talked to one person at a time. He said, no, no, come on, tell me more. How'd you do it? He said, then I talked to one more person, then one more person, then one more person. It's a, it happens on a personal level, Krishna consciousness. People don't change unless they meet somebody and there's an intervention that takes place. And that, that's book distribution. So my point is, that the people uh, in the community, when they experience this, they want more and more of it. We're going to make a point. I just want to say, Maharaj, that I noticed and I observed during the whole conversation that initially when you were giving him the book, he, he was really reluctant. Until the point he accepted that he actually gave the lighter, I saw the confidence in his hand and how much he wanted to hold the book. That's a really good point. Which was a really moving moment personally for me. At first he couldn't take the book, he couldn't hold it. But after he made a sacrifice, then I handed him the book and he goes, okay. And he started looking at it. That's true. And that's an important part of the story. You know, that's what makes it all happen. Yes, Prabhu. And also then you said, God bless you. And, and he sort of looked around and he said, God bless all of you. <laughs> <laughs> this is called church on the street. Because people don't come to church. We have to bring the church to the people. That was what Lord Jaitanya said. You know, bring it to every town and village. Bring it to the people where they live. Bring it right into their homes, on the street corners, everywhere. That's happiness in life. If you can get that work, that's real happiness. So what we're doing, distributing Bhagavatam, there's no literature like it in the world. Bhagavad Gita, the Sri Yashapanishad, these are beautiful books. Uh, there's never been a book like, books like these, and nor will there ever be uh, anything that can come close. We're giving the highest-minded uh, information to people in a loving way uh, just because it's the right thing to do. So the more we can organize that uh, to allow our members of the congregation uh, to come in and experience this for themselves, uh, the more the, everybody in the organization um, can feel this uh, exaltation that comes from distributing uh, Krishna consciousness. And therefore, when we talk about book distribution, we describe it as high sadhana. And just the experience of going out, even if it's for five minutes, changes your entire day and can change your whole life, actually. We had a, a big function in Silicon Valley recently and we were just wrapping it up. We had two days of festivals and chanting and everything. And there was some guy outside the gate kind of looking in. And I just noticed him and I said, hey, hey, hold on. <laughs> we ran after him. And uh, one thing led to another and he took a book and he gave a donation and walked away. And that was most prominent in my mind after the whole weekend as that one person took a book. So the monthly Sankirtan Festival is viable and as the, the members of the congregation are given an opportunity to experience this, to go out with the party at least once a month, at least for a few minutes, then uh, they also uh, catch this sense of what the Sankirtan movement really means and that they're a part of it. So I highly recommend everybody to join the monthly Sankirtan festival at least once a month. And Yes, there are different services that you can do. Everyone can participate in backup services like uh, cooking prasadam. Transportation is extremely important for taking large numbers of people to different places. And, and um, however, I should have said however, not and, if you get the opportunity to actually go out, then do it. Even if you don't distribute a book, just have the, the experience that I crossed the threshold of the door into the outside world. I took that chance. And I can say after 50 years of going out for book distribution, it's always the same. Especially now, wherever I go, people say, okay, we want to watch you distribute. So sometimes I have 5, 10, 15, 20. Once in Alachua, we had about 200 people following me around. We ended up at one door at the end of the day. The guy opened the door and there was 200 people outside. <laughs> and I'm always, they're saying, let's see you do it. And I'm looking at Krishna saying, yeah, let's see us do it. Can, we, <laughs> can it happen again? 
And that's a good place to be in Krishna consciousness, where you're going Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. I'm just an instrument, and Krishna, can you make it happen again? And if you can stay on that edge, then your life stays really vital and exciting. Prabhupada said there's a, a replacement for, this, for sinful activities. One of them is gambling. You know what the replacement is? Surrender to Krishna. Like, all right, Krishna, I'm putting myself in your hands, and what's going to happen? You know, when people roll the dice, okay, I put my house on this. And they're like, okay, I got it all on red. <laughs> you know, the ball's rolling around, they're going, ah, ah, and they, they enjoy that because it's an ex, it, there's a kind of excitement to it. So we get the same thing. Well, then there's no losing, which is interesting when you surrender to Krishna and say, Krishna, I'm putting myself in your hands. And this becomes our excitement in life. So you get all this and much, much more from the monthly Sankirtan festival. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any questions about that? Yes, Prabhu. You mentioned just now how there is a replacement for each of the four. Yeah. Meat eating is ghee. When people eat, uh, they have samosa or pakora, they can say, oh, yeah, I could give up. Like, uh, Nirakul used to cook for my family a lot. And they go like, yeah, this is actually better than what we have. <laughs> you know, like, duh. But, duh. but they, they get a higher taste from having prasadam, so they can give that up. I can't remember the other two right now. I get so stuck on the gambling one. Yes. Intoxicants, sweet rice. <laughs> Just drink about a gallon and see how you feel. Haribo! <laughs> <laughs> you know, after John mushed me, he fasted all day, and somebody gives you some charnam writ, and it's like, Haribo! <laughs> so, um, Krishna consciousness is naturally intoxicating. Just the, the feeling of controlling the senses and being engaged in Krishna's service. It gives us a higher taste. He has a book I read called How to Win an Argument. It's by a rhetorician. He teaches rhetorics at York University. And he has a section on uh, dealing with fanatics. It's actually a definition of fanatic, somebody who's indelibly connected to one point of view and won't talk about anything else. So he has this section, he says, how to deal with a fanatic. And then the next uh, presentation is, don't. <laughs> and that's actually what the Srimad Bhagavatam says also. If somebody's inimical, don't make them more inimical by poking a stick at them. And like, hey, come on. You know, if, if they're in that mood, then just uh, leave them. And then Jiva Goswami says, when you walk away, you can say a prayer. Please, you know, let it happen some other time. But also, having foresight... I meet devotees all the time and say, see that guy? That was me. That used to be me. I, I was like that. And then you know, I kept harassing devotees. There was one guy, a devotee, uh, that on Halloween dressed up as a Hare Krishna. This was in Hawaii. <laughs> and then he went and joined the Hare Nam party because, of course, the devotees were going to go out on Halloween and chant downtown Honolulu. So this guy to show, you know, to really uh, ele escalate his role as a Halloween Hare Krishna. Uh, he jumped into the Hare Nam party and started dancing and everything. And all the devotees, of course, just said, hey, you're one of us now. You know? <laughs> and he took it so far that he followed him all the way back to the temple and sat down with him, took prasadam and stuff like that. And it was still, to him, it was still a gag. And, you know, he had bragging rights. It's like, I went all the way to the temple and I even, they fed me. And, you know, he walked away and didn't think much about it until he was at um, university at MIT and he got really depressed. And he was thinking, like, what's, what's life worth anyway? And then on campus he met a devotee selling books. And he picked up the book and for some reason it just resonated with him at that time. And all his experience joining the Hare Krishna movement for one night came back to him. And he became a devotee. You can't make this stuff up. 
I mean, it actually happens. And those who are involved on the front lines of the Hare Krishna movement meet, see reversals right in front of their eyes every second. There's nothing more interesting than dealing with living entities because they're, they're parts of God and they're conscious living entities and they're in an existential crisis right, right as we speak. And we have a solution for them. And to, to balance that all out, right? Like to know what's at stake in the, every given second when we're interacting with people and to be able to offer it to them in a humble way, not condescending way, but as an instrument and see whether they'll take or not take. And what are the reasons they don't take? That's the same reason that I don't take it. It's, it's self-reflecting. We learn from this. It's high sadhana. That's why we do it. So to get everybody in the congregation on this same wavelength, it's not just for the scores. That we, do, uh, we do set goals for what it makes of us to achieve them. It's not that the numbers really mean anything, ultimately. They're just numbers. You can add a million zeros and it's still not enough. But it gives us something to go for. I talked about that last night. So this project is very important. You all are famous all over the world. Why? Because you have this mood of giving. Just that, like that little boy giving away the baseball. One little kid hands away the baseball and spontaneously in one second he becomes famous. You're all becoming famous, are famous for your giving spirit here. That you live for one purpose and that is to make sure that other people get Krishna consciousness. That's why this place is so vibrant. That's why all of you look so spiritually healthy and why the vibration that comes through the door there is so compelling when you hear it because of what's the mood that, that's going on here in Wales. It's true what I'm saying. So you can feel free to live in this, to expand it as much as you wish, and to involve as many people as possible. And it'll just get better and better and better from doing that. Then, of course, as a consequence, you're going to need more space because more people are going to have, want what you have. So the project to expand this building is really beautiful. I saw the schematics of it when we were down at the Atma, Atma Cafe. And the, the, the way this building is situated right here. Are we in the heart of the city, kind of? Cardiff Bay is just... Cardiff Bay? Is that where we are? Yeah, this is kind of... It's the happening place, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, it is now, anyway. <laughs> Prabhupada built the Krishna Balaram Mandir, and everyone was going like, out here? You sure? And now it's like, that's the main place in Vrindavan, really. So, um, this is important, that what you put into uh, the Sankirtan and then developing this project, it's a beacon for the whole world what you're doing here, and uh, making this, uh, in increasing the infrastructure because it's to follow up with your outreach so that you can include more people and they can be involved. They go hand in hand, these two things. Because what um, management means and what development of property means is managing the results of your outreach. That's what it's for. So that's the situation ideal situation that you have here. So put, put your heart and soul into building this place up and make it beautiful. It'll serve you for decades uh, and centuries to come. And it'll give you this sense of uh, spiritual pride when you go out to meet people that you have a, a, a proper place to bring them. Not that this is improper, I'm just saying more and more facility that people can come into and then take advantage of the process of Krishna consciousness. Everything that has an on-off switch usually gets fixed if you just turn it on and off. You ever notice that? Whenever I call Apple, I get something wrong, really wrong with my computer. thing. Like, did you turn it off? No, I didn't try that. Turn it off. They turn it off. Turn it on. Turn it on. Does it work? Yeah. <laughs> so Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Yukta hara viharasya, yukta chestasya karmasu, yukta swapnavabodasya, yoga bhavati tukaha. To take time to balance your life a little bit. So if you, if you if you're working in such a way that you all of a sudden feel that uh, God, I wish I wasn't here anymore, have some prashadam. Take a little break. Read something. Take a nap. Whatever you have to do to uh, recharge yourself, or redo your schedule. Schedule. 
Shashul. Did I get it? Shashul. So the way we organize our monthly Sangatan festival and when I do it in other places for the first time, uh, all the people who are going out for the first time, uh, I really don't let them distribute. They have to follow along. That's why I told you in the hallway next time you can follow me more closely. And I usually have them just come along and watch. And just watch and watch and watch. Because then once you see a few times a few reversals, like the guy says, get out of here. And it's like, well, what is that again? And they're like, how much is it? <laughs> you, start to, you start to see that anything can happen. And it's not you. And so it's better, you know, when we take people out, a little more training. So... Uh, usually what I'll do is, like I said, I'll go on a Friday night and then we have training and Saturday morning training and I stand everybody up and we face each other. We go down the road and I, I hand them a, a script and they learn the script backwards and forwards until they can just do it uh, really easily. And then we go out, but I still don't let them distribute. I just say, you just watch and follow around somebody. And then they feel a little safer and then start to develop a little more confidence. Every once in a while, someone will disobey because they're so uh, eager to do it and then they'll just run off and do it. And that's okay too. But generally, you need to have a, a safer space like when you come out for the first time so that uh, you don't feel any of that pinch. You let somebody else feel it. And then... You know, you'll start getting used to it by putting your toe in the water and then gradually coming in. But you're going to be okay. Hare Krishna. Om Tat Sat. Thank you.